Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Will East in for the vacationing of Rhino. We're in the Element Well studio. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It's this hump day, as Rhino would say. What's up, Will? It's a, a, like yesterday, a little bit cooler today. It's actually comfortable outside. It is. I enjoyed the evening. Uh, last, it was sort of comfortable. Did a little work in the yard. Before, I'd work five minutes and then have to go sit down. Towel yourself <laughs> off from yeah. all the sweat. But it's comfortable. Yeah. I don't remember in August being this hot for this many days in a row. But the lack of humidity, typically the month of August, uh, I know from flying airplanes, you can't see the horizon because of the haze layer. And we've got blue skies indicating we don't have uh, a lot of humidity. It's just hot, but not bad today. Yeah, not so. bad today. I walked out this morning, and I, it was 72 degrees, you know, that perfect Ooh, temperature. Seven. A seven handle. A seven, that. yeah. And, in fact, I, pr- I opened my door, and I, you know how you can click the little latch and let it stay open yeah. so I, my dog could go in and out? Yeah. I left it open. And I thought, wow, I couldn't have done this yesterday or the, the uh, a couple days ago. I would have uh, died from a heat wave, and yeah. my air conditioner never would have recovered. Very true. But here we are. It's kind of a mystery, but we'll take it. It's okay. It ain't going to last. No, it's not going to last. We still got some more oppressive heat in store for us, This I'm weekend, sure. uh, yeah, as far as I, I can that. tell. I saw that. And next week... Oh, those zany candidates for president, a week from today, will be in Milwaukee for the first Republican presidential debate. At this point, it does not look like the front-runner, Donald J. Trump, will be in attendance at the debate. Uh, That's disappointing. He's always first entertaining, and secondly, he's the front-runner. You want to see him up there on the stage. And there, a handful of them have made it, have met the requirements. I have to look that up in a minute, who all's there, because it's fluid. It changes. It's rather dynamic. I think Vivek Ramaswamy has made it. Um, I don't know if Chris Christie has. Mike Pence has. Nikki Haley. Tim Scott. Who are you seeing there? I spelled Milwaukee correctly. How about that? <laughs> Doug Burgum, I think, the governor of North Dakota. 
Doug Burgum He's is going to be it. there. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, yep. Ramaswamy. Yeah. It's unclear whether Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, uh, he won't be there. Uh, let's see. Hasn't signed pledge, but uh, campaign says they Christy. qualify. Chris Christie, Mike yep. Pence, yep. and then Donald Trump. There you go. Who hasn't qualified? Will Hurd. Right, Hurd. The who no one's heard Texas. of. Right. <laughs> uh, Hutchinson and Larry Elder. I didn't even know Larry was running. He is running. I think it's a total of 14 last I checked. There's a Perry, right? You see I don't him even in there? see Perry on there. Okay. Perry didn't even make the list of people that didn't make the list. <laughs> well, he's usually shown anytime you see uh, video, uh, photo, if you will, graphic showing the candidates. It's an even number. I think it's 14. Okay, 14. Yeah. I can't believe Burkham made it. Yeah, well, remember, he was the guy doing the... Oh, the gift cards. The gift cards. You come give me a dollar and I'll send you 20 <laughs> till he got the the uh the number that he needed, 40,000 I think, in uh unique individual donations to get on the stage there. He he feels like he's going to win this thing. Does Governor Burgum. Well, more power to him. I mean, yeah. dark horses have won before. Yeah. Uh do you think Trump not showing up is him is it him trying to avoid a, a another subpoena, or do you think it's him? You know, they don't. I they want to know where he is. I actually heard him talk about it, and uh, what he said was, "I'm so far ahead, there's no need for me to go." I mean, literally something to that effect. Uh, I'm leading in the polls significantly, therefore, it's really no use in me going. You know, doesn't doesn't really help him. And uh, doesn't help his cause, I guess, is what he feels like in his effort. Now, I will say this. There is a rather shocking recent poll that uh, just was conducted by the New York Times Siena organization. Read into that what you will. Joe Biden tops Donald Trump in the head-to-head match, 49 to 33. That is after surveying 1,329 registered voters with a plus or minus margin of error of 3.67%. But even when the New York Times has run prior polls, it's been much closer to that. Even a couple of times shows Trump ahead. So, and I'm not sure again who the pool of people. You don't know that they're that they're surveying and what how they're couching the question if there is. Anything other than just an objective question, who would you support in a head-to-head match? But nonetheless, it it does seem to be changing a little bit favorably for President Biden, disfavorably in Donald Trump's camp. However, he's still lapping the field with Republican voters, Yeah, Donald Trump. Which is interesting because everyone I ask personally, I know that's not a obviously not a scientific way to go about things but i ask people personally what do you conservatives who would you vote for who do you want and it's not one of them that i know personally besides i know some people that would probably say trump but i haven't asked them yeah um but people that i you know in the past voted for trump they've said other people i get the same reaction and it and it does, it is a little surprising as well that he would even given that kind of anecdotal observation that he's leading by such a significant margin 
honestly, in the national various national polls. We talked a little bit about the possibility yesterday of, of Donald Trump uh, in, in his legal troubles going to jail, and if that's even a possibility. And someone on the text line said that, that our laws wouldn't permit that because of the security required to protect even an ex-president. And I did a little research on that. Apparently they could go to jail and they would be accommodated uh, based on information that I gleaned from Like a private sources. prison where they're the only inmates. <laughs> you just said it would be accommodated, essentially. Yeah. And apparently, uh, a long time ago, there was a candidate, I say a long time ago, uh, was a candidate that ran as a, um, a socialist that had done something wrong, landed him in jail, and was a candidate. I think the only time we've had a candidate <laughs> that actually ran from jail, because that is not that does not preclude one from running for president. There are only three very simple requirements enumerated in our Constitution. Got to be a natural-born citizen, over 35 years of age, and live in the country 14 years. Says nothing about being uh, convicted of a felony yeah. or being incarcerated. No, no uh, information with respect to that. I said yesterday that uh, after witnessing the uh, indictment press conference there in Fulton County, the DA there, who I thought was just giddy, euphoric, trying to make a name for themselves, more so than being serious and solemn about charging a president with these various crimes, uh, a former president. And I just said that to me, it looks like that the top goal is to keep this guy from running, prevent him from running, that they fear him first defeating their candidate, the Democrat nominee. They fear that, and they're trying to just – and they don't like his course style of governing. It, it offends them, and they're doing everything they can just to render him – ineffective or maybe even unable to conduct a campaign. And I received, interestingly enough, Will, to your point, I received an email. This person didn't tell me whether or not I could reveal their identity, so I, I won't, just out of deference to them. Received an email from a listener that was listening yesterday and was basically stating and actually shared some of our code, federal code, stating that Trump, he believed, uh, really did break the law, especially in the documents case specifically was cited in the email. I just said yesterday that you know, a lot of these charges are 91 now across the four indictments. I'm not sure if they really do rise to the level, some of them, of breaking the law, that it's kind of gray. And he goes on to say that, yeah, I think he did. And, and had some other thoughts as well on Donald Trump, which I'll share on the other side of the break here. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio. We got Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union, at 1037. Emily Havens, executive director of the Grammy Museum, Mississippi, at 1105. Full three hours today on middays in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. 
Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Enjoy it today. Yes, sir. Even people who were born after it was produced enjoy it today. You know what they say? They don't make them like that anymore. They don't make them like that anymore. (laughs) We're back in the Element Well studio today. We're watching the markets to dial up uh, about 100. It's been up more than that. Started out. Oh, oh, I I forgot. I got to interrupt you for a second. Doobie Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, yeah. Tell us about uh, that. not not this week, and not next week, yep. but the week after that. I'm gonna have uh, some tickets Woo-hoo! for some people out there for Love Doobie it. Brothers. Love it. <clears throat> so. Love it. Absolutely. Still cranking it out. Good music, man. Good really stuff. Really do. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of our colleague Perez. Yeah. Perez is so interesting because he would all. He does, still does this. He'll drop little uh, little hints of, he uses code kind of, but he uses music code like the other day. Well, I said the other day, it's been a while ago. He said I was going to super tramp at home, and I knew what that meant. I mean, he was going to take the long way home. I love it. <laughs> I ran into him uh, just before show last week in the hall out there, and I was actually talking to our news team. And it, I, you know, I, I cut it short sometimes. It will see me. I run in here and sit in this chair right before we go on the air. It's because I'm out fraternizing with the team, the news team. And Perez comes up and says, "Don't you have a radio show to do?" <laughs> oh man, we're back though in the Element Well Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. Our friend Jeremy Nelson, of course, partner at Element Wealth, been on the program many times. Ran into him at breakfast this morning. I said, go make me some money. (laughs) You know, the markets, uh, they are kind of in a holding pattern a bit because the Fed is going to come out and talk to us later today. They're scheduled to deliver minutes. Is that and, the one where they the people sit and they they every time a word is uttered they go oh uh, that means this <laughs> the market goes <laughs> he took a breath hang on yeah and they just read too much into that ongoing is the word they key on is crazy uh, we'll see what they say I don't know what to expect uh, of course it's one of those deals I kid about it all the time to be an economist you got to have two hands because it's but on the other hand you know it's always the uh, the preface to any statement, some think we're going to see an indication of uh, a standing down of more rate hiking. Some think we got more in store. I don't know. Hawkish, dovish. Not sure what to expect. And that's because the data is so confusing. We got retail sales data in yesterday. A little better than expected. People are spending money. A little more than we thought. And now, 
They're putting it on credit cards because credit card debt's through the roof. So we had that, which sadly in the Fed world is bad news because they're trying to get you to quit buying so much stuff so sellers will pull prices back and allow the supply chain to catch up with demand. And it's, it's sad when good news is bad news, but that's where we are right now. Mortgages, I saw a report that the average age of a person who feels like they can afford a mortgage is now 36. It's gone up significantly, meaning they've been working a little longer, have typically higher incomes than a person in their 20s that might be starting a family, getting ready to buy a house for that purpose. So that's not good, and that's just because mortgage rates are north of 7%. And some economists are saying that we may see high rates stay in there for a little longer than expected. Some are saying, no, I think we're going to see a pivot by the first quarter of next year. The economy is going to play a role, no doubt about it, always does, in the presidential election. And and a lot of the way people will decide how to pull that lever, metaphorically speaking, will be based on how they feel about their personal financial situation. Always has been. It's old James Carville going back to the Clinton campaign in the 90s. It's the economy, Stu, but he's so right. It, at the end of the day, I think uh, has a huge impact on voter preference. And we'll see where that stands. Joe Biden yesterday, by the way, was in Milwaukee. He's uh, He's there, I think, kind of preempt, if you will, the debate coming there next week. And once again, folks, I don't have any sound for you, but once again, I, I listened to it, watched some of it. He's just jumbling his words up, not making really coherent statements, conflating the Infrastructure Act with the Inflation Reduction Act, which, by the way, just passed its one-year anniversary, and he's running around touting. Yeah. Don't you feel good, guys, out there? Hadn't that thing really helped you out? Most people couldn't tell you what the heck's in it. All they know is they, they see the, the title, Inflation Reduction Act, and that ain't happening. That's what they know. But he mixes up his words, talking about, of course, he's always going to be at a factory where the audience is friendly union workers. And he focused on manufacturing jobs, which is the only thing this guy knows. Every job in the country is a manufacturing job. And if you do some investigation of that, you'll find that it's less than 10% of the country works in manufacturing. We've automated the heck out of factories. We don't need so many people manning the assembly lines as we did. Joe stuck in the 70s when about 40% of our nation's workers were manufacturing. But he, he focused on that. He talked about jobs being created in America instead of getting exported out, which is still not totally the case. He talked about how the private sector had announced $3 billion of investments in wind energy manufacturing. (laughs) What a joke. He said, this is cheaper than fossil fuels. Nobody is feeling that, though. Nobody is receiving, experiencing any of the benefits that he purports. It's just not true. And I just wish he'd be honest about that. 
He goes on to say, quote, and that's not all. So this year, this company didn't think it made sense to make chargers for electric vehicles in the United States. But then when I signed the, it was a word you couldn't, and the report I'm reading here, Will, from the quote, it literally has in brackets, because this is the way the White House recorded it, in brackets, unintelligible word. (laughs) I'm serious. (laughs) Which... Republican senator, they have that in brackets, just to preface, Ron Johnson, senator from Wisconsin, of course, powerful senator, and his friends didn't vote for, they all voted against it, that law that invests $7.5 billion to build a network of thousands of electric vehicle chargers stretching across the country, including right here on I-94. Oh, yeah. And you're seeing report after report of people who say, I'm not doing this anymore. This is such a pain. It takes so long. Look, I think for around town, to just if you just are a person who just travels around town, I can see owning an EV at this point. You mean you, if you live in cities like Los Angeles or New York or well, Chicago? Hell you can't, not Los Angeles, Will. Yeah, I've lived out there. I'm telling you, a normal commute in Los Angeles is two hours. <laughs> That's an in-town traffic. Yeah. And and it's crazy, but this is a true story. When I worked for Arthur Anderson, and we had all these policies about when you get reimbursed for, for mileage, right? So going to your office, that's not reimbursable. But if you have to go to a client location that exceeds, that's the way the, the this is actually the way the code said, the IRS code works. If you, if you travel to a location that exceeds your normal, it literally says normal commute. Like, if you have to drive to your office and it's 50 miles, and you go to a client that's 40, you don't get any reimbursement. You go 60, you get 10 miles. You don't get the full 60. Well, I, I had colleagues that just because of how expensive it is to live, and this is 40 years ago in Los Angeles, to get to the office in downtown L.A., they had to live so far away, it was two hours to get to work. Good grief. And so it's not quite as compact and dense yeah. As the city, other cities you talk about, New York was your skyscrapers, right? Yeah. Los Angeles spread out. But you're right. You live in New York, you live in Chicago, some of these other densely populated cities, Washington, Boston, etc. Yeah, those are practical vehicles. Most people there, however, they don't have vehicles at all. Yeah. It, it, but for a, a, a reasonably long commute or if you travel, like me doing remotes, for example, I couldn't do that in an EV. It wouldn't be practical. We are stepping aside for a break here in the Element Well Studios on middays. When we come back, we've got Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union. Stay with us. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi.
middays. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you joining us today. Joining us now, Pete Sepp with the National Taxpayers Union, the president of the NTU. Hey, Pete, how's it going? Going well, and that's appropriate music. Hold on tight to your dreams before the government gives you a nightmare. <laughs> Man, touche. I hear you. So we just had a, a recent ruling concerning uh, a case that involved uh, Google. Tell us about that. Well, this is a big deal. It's been described as the biggest antitrust case against a U.S. tech company since the Microsoft case back in the late 1990s. So this is monumental in the sense that the federal government, as well as attorneys general at the state level, are suing Google in really four separate actions. This recent decision to narrow two cases is important in several respects. Without getting too technical, of course, antitrust is a weapon uh, or a tool, depending on how you look at it, that governments, state and federal, use to punish what's called anti-competitive behavior or unfair practices. And there, the four cases against Google um, generally center on whether Google is being unfair to competitors in the way that it shows its advertising results and its search results, or Google's being unfair in the way that it treats advertisers on its platform, either forcing them into exclusivity agreements or preloading its own uh, browsers on phones and the like. So the two cases by the attorneys general, 38 of them now, as well as the Federal Department of Justice was heard recently in a U.S. district court for which charges are actually going to stick and be heard at trial. And the judge very recently, uh, just about 10 days ago, said that there are several of these seven government charges that are going to get thrown out. There are actually only three out of the seven that the government's going to be able to argue in court on the merits on September 12. The ones that got thrown out had to do with complaints, for example, that when people try to use Google search, well, uh, they're boosting their own products in search results over those of specialized sites like Yelp or Travelocity. Well, that's just Yelp and Travelocity complaining that Google is disadvantaging them. The judge said, well, you're not really proving anti-competitive behavior there. Uh, all you're basically saying is you're upset that some firms are getting disadvantaged over others. What does this have to do with consumers rather than competitors? interests. Yeah. And I think the judge made the good call there in throwing out some of those charges and focusing on ones that might or might not have some merit to them. We'll find out in September. Yeah, you know, uh, Pete, having grown up uh, business-wise, professionally in, in the IT world and, and started my company in the early days of the personal computer and watched all this stuff unfold, remember the the well, the Microsoft suit. I mean, the deal was, oh, they're shipping a browser with the operating system, 
Remember that? Internet Explorer. Yes. And, and third-party browsers, Netscape, and the like said, well, that's not fair. It comes with it. They're bundling it in the operating system so that when people buy a personal computer and they fire it up, it's already got a browser on it. But, you know, that's pretty dang com- uh, convenient to the consumer. And that's, that's, so that's where you get into yes. it. It's the same thing with, with uh, this situation with, uh, with Yelp and Waze and the others that are squawking about uh, Google, well, it's still pretty convenient to the consumer. And, you know, and I, my response there would be, well, go create a, a search engine and then go compete on that basis. And it's not like you don't have other options for search engines, and those companies could cut deals with the other search engine companies. But the fact is, it, there, there's something about having sort of one standard a lot of times, and especially in, soft, in the software world. Uh, we watched IBM... Uh, really just get stomped out by Microsoft in the PC operating system world. Maybe a lot of people don't remember that, but IBM tried their dangdest with OS2. But the market just said, no, it's just, it's inferior. We don't need multiple. And the IT world said, we can't support one, much less two, you know, proliferating throughout our landscape. So a lot of this, I hope, courts think about what's in the best interest of the consumer here, not just the competitor. Yeah, exactly. And courts need to remember that government interference in the markets on behalf of competitors or consumers can sometimes be counterproductive. You mentioned, uh, for example, IBM. Well, they were under antitrust suits for a number years. of years yeah. for anti-competitive behavior. They were hobbled from being able to compete yes. Yes. and and introduce some of their own innovative products. Yes. Uh, Microsoft, the same way. When government is tipping the scales and putting a thumb on it from one firm to another, that's what's actually going to hobble competition. They're Absolutely. hobbling competition in the name of encouraging competition, exactly. and, and, which and, just doesn't make any sense. And Pete, don't we have the same situation with Apple and their payment system on in, in the iOS yeah. operating system? We have the same thing with Amazon, where they're accused of promoting their own brands over third-party sellers on their platform. But the reality is, yes. without Amazon, there is no third-party seller industry. So shouldn't they get some right. reward for that? Yeah, exactly. And we keep having to remember, too, that government is moving at the speed of yeah. government yes. here. <laughs> and because they are not adept at embracing technologies of their own, I mean, look at IRS, FAA, yes. the whole alphabet soup trying to modernize their own IT systems. They 30 years do behind. It. And then they're tr- right. And they're trying to tell others, well, you have to get with the program. You have to innovate. And we're going to create the conditions for it. They have no idea how to do it. And when they try, then these suits drag on year after year and hobble companies' capital because they're having to pour it into defending themselves or shareholders stay away and investors get reluctant, that by the time these cases get settled, many of these companies have long since been surpassed by somebody else. You know, that's what happens. Um, It was said at the time that MySpace was going to dominate social media and the Internet for the foreseeable future. These were people in the early 2000s saying they're unbeatable, they're a monopoly, nothing will ever stop them. Who uses MySpace anymore? Right. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great point of how this uh, impairs innovation, and you're absolutely 100% right. You, you get the investment community, the capital they need to produce innovation and to get it to market, which is another big part. You can innovate all day long, but if you don't have a way to get it to market, which costs money, then you're going to fail. Uh, you're not you're you're not going to uh, really optimize and produce the return on investment that is sought by those that put capital into these projects, but they sit back and say, "Well, heck, you got the government coming at after you. Why do I want to put money <laughs> in your company?" We're watching the same thing yes. play out in the fossil fuels industry. Every day, the government says we're shutting yes. you down, and so the fossil fuels executives That's say, well, "We're not going to spend any money to increase supply, which would bring the cost down to consumers." When we got an overbearing government says, we want you out of business. This is crazy. That's right. And here's where taxpayers really come into the picture. Of course, the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice spend not only fees for merger filings, but actual general tax dollars on some of these prosecutions. Of course, that's a waste of money. Uh, many of the attorneys general of the states involved in these suits um, yeah. spend millions when polls show that this is a very low priority for their citizens. Uh, we've actually done some polling on that. Uh, when you poll people about what their attorneys general should be doing, wow, prosecuting crimes <laughs> and combating human trafficking right. go to the top of the list. Prosecuting antitrust ranks three to four percent as a priority. But beyond all that, look at all the innovations that have helped governments and taxpayers save money happening from yeah. uh, cloud data storage to uh, improvements in customer service that they ought to be embracing and saving our money with. And yet these prosecutions are guaranteeing you won't get that innovation it's in great the future. Point. It's a great point. Pete, really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and explaining all this. I read the press release. It was great. Hopefully this will be uh, an indicator, a precedent for what we'll see in the future. Just lay off of this. This is not where we have problems in society. Go solve some real problems, as you said. Appreciate it, Pete. Thank you. Amen. My pleasure. Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union, has been our guest. We're stepping aside in the Element Well studio. We'll come right back. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Ah, yes, the great Glenn Campbell. Good tune there by Glenn. Best hair for a guitarist I've ever seen. Boy, just a beautiful head of hair. <laughs> I mean, a guy like me who doesn't have much of it left, just I look at him and I just go, wow, that's a helmet of hair. 
<laughs> Perfect. I enjoyed his uh, variety show of the, I believe, 70s, the Glenn Campbell show, I think it was called. When I was growing up, I remembered. It was good. You Always know, he did. recorded some with uh, um, Bobby Gentry. Okay. I have an album uh, of duets by the two of them. Okay. I don't know where I got that album. I, I guess know my mom gave it to me. Duets. Wow. They did some duets. You know, she had a variety. Variety shows are the big thing. Yeah. You know, if Gerard, if you were, yeah. you know, the age you are now back then, <laughs> you'd probably have variety shows. So it was. And, yeah. I, cheap I, to produce. It was, it was reality shows at the time because it's cheap to produce. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have yourself a stage there and a studio audience and have guests come on that got exposure. Yeah. And work from that. Uh, and a lot of the uh, comedic shows. Carol Burnett was a great one. Yeah. Now, when I was really young, it was Red Skelton in the Gary Moore show. We, I grew up uh, in the – I was born in 82, so I was right there towards the end of Hee Haw, so I can remember that one really well. Uh, my This – not really a variety show so much as uh, entertainment, but my grandmother used to make us watch Lawrence Welk. Yeah, sure. And you know they reran it. I think they probably still rerun that show somewhere on like PBS or something. Oh yeah. But I remember my grandmother watched that. I was I was in my teenage years. I remember walking in watching Lawrence Welk, and uh, to this day I enjoyed it. You know because it was it reminds me it, of my, my grandparents. It's actually pretty good. And of course, uh, Mississippian Guy Hovis. Guy Hovis. Who, yeah. by the way, don't know if you know this, but when I lived over here in in the neighborhood in Ridgeland prior to the one I presently live in. He lived around the corner. Yeah. You see him walking down the street. He was on uh, Steve Azar's show probably about a year, maybe two years ago now. Man. Yeah. Well, he was very talented. And uh, and later on became uh, an aide to Trent Lott. That's right. Sure did. Thank you for my, reminding me of that. Yeah. Low Lawrence, well, a one and a two and a three. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, you know, that chammy. Yeah, pop, exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Champagne music makers of the world. Oh, man. And now uh, Myron is going to play. What is his name? He played the accordion? I think it was. Nobody yeah. does. I mean, you have to admit, maybe the best of all time playing and the accordion. What's, what's interesting is that show was like a top five show when sure. it got canceled. And they canceled it <laughs> because the audience was too old. They huge ratings, but they went ahead and canceled it anyway. Well, I think it was kind of the the uh, World War II, you know, yeah. generation, and and they, of course, that was their music, and he kept it alive to but a great it, extent. I think it was. I have to look this up, but I think it was like a top five show. Wow! And they went ahead. They canceled it anyway because it it gave the was it on CBS? Seems like it. It gave the perception that it was an old network, and so they. <laughs> but it was top five. It it's, it still is entertaining. I mean, it's, it's good performers, good music. Yeah. It's just fun to watch. It's happy. Uh, we don't have a lot of that, honestly. Let's think about it. No, you it. don't. And it was just fun, happy, and you'd see the uh, mostly older couples that would attend in the yeah. live studio there, and they'd get up and dance, remember, and the camera would pan around them dancing. Yeah. They're just having the time of their lives, man. But those, just great. those variety shows, it's some, you know, they've tried to bring it back over the years, and it just... The audience has moved on. I guess they're not as popular as they once were. But if you go back and watch, I have that Pluto TV app. It's free if you yeah. if you 
into that type of thing, but it's it it has some old you know Johnny Carson, but it has some of the old variety shows that it'll play occasionally. Yeah, and this stuff is still it's still funny. I don't get some of the jokes because some of them are you know current topics, but you know from back in the seventies. Yeah, it, they were really well done in the music. Yeah, exactly. That was a big feature. And of course, the the very well known, per, perhaps. Uh, the one that uh, best represents the craziness of the 70s, the mod years, was Laugh-In. Mm-hmm. Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Yeah. I mean, just an absolute classic. And really slapstick kind of comedy brought forward from, you know, the slapstick vaudeville days, but more in a, in a 70s theme. Where Goldie Hawn where got her start, She got start, her start right? there. Yeah. Right. Um, what was uh, Shooter Name Escapes Me Right Now? The... Oh gosh, the tele the telephone operator. Oh, uh, Lily Lily Tomlin. Tomlin. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're having a little fun reminiscing here on middays. We're in the Element Well Studio. We're coming right back. Emily Havens with uh, the Grammy Museum, Mississippi, is going to join us at eleven oh five. Stay with us. To go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of middays. We are live in the Element Well Studio. It is hump day, as Rhino would say. We are here having a good old time. We welcome to the program Emily Havens, Executive Director of Grammy Museum, Mississippi. Emily, good to see you again. It's good to see you, Gerard. Thanks for having me. You bet. So uh, tell us uh, what's new. You got some new stuff going on there at the Grammy Museum in the great town of Cleveland, Mississippi. What's up? We do. We um, just this past week we opened up a new exhibit in our special gallery. Um, it's Highway sixty one, traveling traveling America's music highway. It's an incredible exhibit, and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Um, we've had it's been well received so far. Uh, It truly tells the story of Highway 61 uh, from New Orleans all the way to St. Louis um, and all the artists and the music that was born um, near the highway. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, It's probably more traveled these days in Louisiana, maybe, than it is in Mississippi, but it's got more history and roots, I think, in Mississippi. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely travel, of course, a lot. But, you know, now that, uh, especially through the Delta, now that it's four lanes, yeah. I feel like it's traveled a good bit. We, That's probably we true. certainly get a lot of travelers from Memphis to New Orleans um, that are they're making the music journey. And um, we're hoping to be able to uh, have those visitors come here. And, and the exhibit's really incredible. It starts in New Orleans, and it really does take you on a highway, um, a, a traveling journey. Um, it shows you all the great, um, the towns and the artists, all the way 
way um, up to St. Louis. Um, of course, there's a lot in Mississippi, as you as you just said. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of beautiful artifacts and interviews, and um, it's just a really great exhibit. It's our second one to curate ourselves um, in the museum. It's a large exhibit with great artifacts, with great interviews, um, and great history, and, and it's actually it's really beautiful. Yeah, and you know when I think about it. Uh, historically, before we had all the interstate systems and, and U.S. highways, uh, other than that, I mean, that's how we got around uh, uh, between these states. That's how we traversed them, certainly north and south there. And in Mississippi, because you're you're sort of stretching across the landscape of the state with such diverse cultures, there's a lot of musical history affiliated with that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you just said that there's a there's a photograph in of Highway 61 with gravel and a horse and a horse and buggy. So it really does take you back in time. Uh, but the artists that, that come from New Orleans, that come from Mississippi, um, you know, Vicksburg and Natchez and Willie Dixon. And um, I mean, so many that and of course, through the Mississippi Delta and Sam Cooke and Baby King. And then you go all the way up to Memphis and you look at all the the and, and you know, now Highway 61 going through Memphis is B.B. King Boulevard, right? Yeah, so exactly. it really It really shows you just how important this highway is and then going all the way up. We've got, you know, Chuck Berry and Buddy Guy and Sam Cooke and Muddy Waters artifacts, B.B. Um, King, Graceland, um, Elvis. I mean, so it's just really, uh, Willie Dixon's really incredible, and people's a um, lot of um, great artists and music, all genres uh, that were born across this state and across this highway, and we're able to tell that story um, on this journey. Um, so it's a great road trip inside the museum. Yeah, and uh, Conway Twitty, another one that yeah. uh, has some roots So we there. have a beautiful, it's my, absolutely, one of my favorite pieces in the museum. It's a, um, a contract, and it's actually a contract with the Recording Academy for his 1971 Grammy performance, um, and it's, of course, signed by him. Uh, so he was paid $1,000 for that performance, and we've got that contract in the exhibit. So Conway, interesting enough, is my very first live concert, in-person concert that I went to. Okay. Um, I was at I was at a meeting one time, and it was an icebreaker, your first concert, and all these people around me were doing cool bands like One Direction and all these other, you know, bands. I thought, I'm fixing to really show my age here. <laughs> but yeah. I decided to go with it. And the truth is, it's Conway Twitty. He, uh, he was incredible, and I've been a fan ever since. I have uh, seen some reports, mainly business-related reports, uh, Emily, about uh, Americans really getting out and traveling over the last year, just in record numbers. The demand is still high. The outlook is still very positive from the travel industry. Uh, airlines, hotels, etc. cetera. Uh, are you feeling the, the same? Are you, are you receiving the benefits of that with a lot of visitors coming to Cleveland to see the museum? We've had probably the busiest summer we have ever had at the museum. Wow. Um, August is kind of always slow. People are going back to school. Um, it's kind of a slow month for most museums uh, in the state and I'm sure other places too. But yes, we have had a um, really this entire year has been incredible with visitors coming. And, um, and it's probably for us since COVID, really the difference um, has started this spring and, uh, and has continued through the summer. Yeah, it just uh, it seems like it would be a destination a lot of people would, would want to hit, especially since they're in the mood to travel uh, right now. Yeah. 
So what? We've got an incredible exhibit on Southern Rock, and so that's really brought a lot of people. So I think with these two new exhibits, people are interested. We're kind of entering into festival season, um, a lot of fall festivals. I feel like we will, you know, continue the trend. And then we have had an incredible year in education. Um, lots of students, lots of field trips from all over the state, from outside the state. Um, and that's really been incredible to be able to share this music and music history with kids and other generation. Um, and, and really highlight Mississippi and the impact that Mississippi has on American music. Sure. So, so Emily, how would a school or a class, how, how would they arrange for a visit, for a field trip to the museum? They can certainly call call the museum at um, our phone number, 662-441-0100, or they check out our website um, at grammymuseumms.org. Um, we're happy to um, to assist and get classrooms signed up for a workshop. We even go to we even go to schools to do workshops. Hmm. So uh, any way we can, um, we can help and, and kind of give music education and bridge a gap, maybe that they don't have music in their schools, we're happy to, to do that. And so we, there's lots of ways that we can serve our community community, um, either inside the museum or even going straight to schools and doing it there. And you've got uh, the ability to host events as well, right? We do. We have an incredible space. We have had that's another thing that we've had a lot of uh, facility rentals this year, more than we have had at this point in the year before. And we've got a busy fall. We're excited about that. Um, we also have a gala. Our, we announced our gala. Our education fundraising gala is September 28th, and we are uh, honoring five-time Grammy winner Kevmo. So we're really excited to welcome Kevmo back to the Delta, and um, and we'll have a you know a great. Um, live and silent auction and, and great food and great music and so it'll be a great celebration um, while raising money for, for the museum for our education programs. And speaking of money, you've got a number of uh, foundations, I believe, that uh, donate, that serve as benefactors uh, to the museum. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we have such great partners. The Maddox Foundation in Hernando is just a, a great education partner for the museum and really support our initiatives. Um, the Bolivar Medical Center Foundation, our local hospital foundation, um, supports our sensory programs. Um, we have a lot of sensory friendly programs that we do and they support that and really help us um, uh, be inclusive and, and all children have an opportunity to come to the museum and enjoy enjoy it. Um, Nissan Foundation is a great foundation. Gertrude Ford Foundation is great. Um, we just have a lot of partners that understand what we're doing here and trying to do here, make a difference in music education in this state. And just we're lucky to have such great um, foundations that help support that. Even the Ella Fitzgerald Foundation in California supports our summer camp and the thing and, and field trips for kids who um, may not can afford field trips. So sure. we're able to um, partner across the state in the United States to make uh, music education a reality for kids in this area. You get some reaction, Emily, from kids, maybe their teachers, uh, guides that are with them. Once they they tour it, they see it, all the exhibits, they come away thinking, you know, that's maybe something in my future as a musician. We do, and we had an incredible Friday. We had an incredible education program with um, her name, Kiana. She, Kiana Linnell, she's from Baton Rouge, so she came and helped us open up the exhibit, and she did an education program for about 100 kids. And then the kids getting to listen to her story and how she got started and not giving up on her dream and how she worked hard um, at it. And, you you know, if you want to be well, you've got a gift, and you have to practice that gift. You can't just sit on that gift. And so really the lessons in that, I think, are 
so important. And to be able to hear that from an artist um, was really powerful for kids. And so being able to provide those opportunities with backstage passes with artists is incredible. It's one of the things we love doing here because they get to hear it. It's almost like sitting in her living room. Um, and so I think they walk away. Some of the comments from the from the teachers that day were incredible. So kids just don't have that opportunity um, to be able to ask questions to artists. And it was really awesome. Yeah, that's good. It's good. It's good. The kids get exposed. Uh, to, of course, the art of music, and but also to Mississippi's legacy and history and contributions to music, which are just phenomenal. Yeah, Emily, appreciate you coming on. Always enjoy the report. Us too. Come see us, Gerard. Thank you. You bet. Emily Havens, Executive Director of Grammy Museum Mississippi, has been our guest. We are stepping aside in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. Rock and roll. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone middays live from the element well studio so before we went to, to break I was talking about this email that uh, I received and, and I always appreciate uh, feedback on the show and this uh, person was complimentary uh, of the show and listens regularly but was talking about Trump and yesterday I just said that I think that the primary goal of those that are really pushing all these indictments and, and thrusting Trump into all this, these legal matters, the primary goal is to render him unable to run for office and unelectable if he does. I really do think that's the primary goal. Secondary goal is, is just to punish him, just because they don't like him. Yeah. And, again, there are 91 charges, and I, I'm certainly not qualified to render credible legal opinion on whether or not any of those charges uh, can be proven in a court of law, in, a, in accordance with our legal standards, <laughs> such that he would be punished in accordance with the law. And that might include sending him to jail, potentially. And I've heard lawyers on both sides, I've watched on both sides, address this. It's complicated. Um, legal matters are complicated. And our, our system, while maybe doesn't always get exactly what everybody wants, still the best in the world, in my view. And 
the vast majority of the time, gets it right. Still do believe that. And when I read um, the comments from this person, which I thought were was what were well presented, basically said, here's the code, here's what Trump did, and said, I think, yeah, he had unauthorized possession, access, control over classified documents. That's against the law, and of course, with the code. That's the language from the code. Did he willfully retain these classified documents pertaining to national defense? Yeah, does appear to be the case. Did he fail to deliver the classified documents when he was asked to? Does appear to be the case. And did he even attempt to obstruct knowledge of, uh, or public knowledge of him having them? You maybe could argue that because he didn't instruct a, an aide to destroy some video of them moving the documents around at Mar-a-Lago. Can they be proven in a court of law? This person said, that sent me the email, the most junior assistant U.S. attorney in Dade County, Florida, could try this case and secure a conviction, was their opinion, and says it's just evident. Went on to talk about the New York case. You know, he's got another indictment up there. Then, of course, the the uh, insurrection case in Washington, and then most recently this week in Georgia, Fulton County, Georgia, with election interference and racketeering, RICO, which it's pretty rare that that even gets invoked. But this person goes on to say that Trump's not the victim. He brought on all these legal troubles onto on himself and said, stole classified documents, which are government property, and when taken to task, played childish games of hide-and-seek. That's when he instructed handlers to move the documents and then destroy the video. Dared the DOJ, and he, he has made some statements that I thought were a little inappropriate. If you come after me, I'm coming after you. I don't think that was the best way to handle the situation that he's in. But uh, it's just Trump. It's his personality. But the final statement that um, I think will honestly reflects the sentiments of a lot of people, consistent with what you said, just in your orbit, you know, and me too, I've heard the same, says, I have no idea how a single Republican or conservative could support Trump in any manner. Genuine conservatives demand a candidate who isn't a criminal. Also, they want a candidate who has honor, integrity, loyalty, and personal courage. He lacks these fundamental leadership traits. Uh, you know, my sense is of the people that are watching this unfold that I guess have intensified their support for Trump, which appears to be the case. Polls reflect that, certainly within the Republican Party and Republican voters when polled. Seems to, that it makes him stronger. And it's almost as if they've created Trump as a martyr. And they really have. I think it may be hurting their cause as far as him securing the nomination on the Republican side. If, if I were a betting man today, I'd say he's got that wrapped up, honestly. But I think people feel this the sense of he's the only guy that I feel like fights for me. I'm, I'm the little person out here. 
And we saw that in 16. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing it uh, again. And they just feel like, I don't, I don't feel like I have access. I don't feel like my voice matters. I don't feel like my vote matters. Absolutely. People get elected. They just forget about me. Whether or not that's the case, you know what we say in the sales business, perception is reality. That's the perception. I think that's a pervasive attitude by a lot of people uh, in this country. And it's kind of crazy to watch, Will, in the last maybe decade, how the Republican Party has become the, the, the representatives of the forgotten, of the middle class. Of the, of it's flipped the, on its head. Completely flipped. And when Joe runs around appeasing unions, which you typically think about, associate with the, the middle class, usually, you know, not the Wall Street elites, and they're all in for the Democrats. We had that discussion yesterday. Why do all these, these captains of industry and these billionaires seem to go all in for Democrats? And look at the coast. The coast is where most of the wealth is in this country, and they're totally Democrat. In the so-called flyover middle of the country, where we're just kind of normal People that go to work, go to church, raise our families, just won't be left the hell alone. Yeah, we gravitated to the Republican Party. It's completely flipped. It's happened in our state to a great extent. You've watched that. So Trump, just the person who kind of rose up in 16, and everybody laughed about it. shouldn't say everybody, but certainly at first laughed about it. When he came down that escalator. Laughed I mean, about it. People were. Yeah. What was her name, uh, Ann, with the long blonde hair, who got... Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. Remember, she said, before Trump announced, he's going to run, he's going to win. And they just laughed at her. I can't remember. She was one on, the, on one of the late-night shows. They just laughed. I mean, just dismissed it. And mocked it's her. Almost, it's almost ridiculed like, her. you know, the, the more people made fun of him and laughed at him and dismissed him, the more people on the other side were going... Well, they're doing the same things to me. They're laughing at me. They're dismissing me because of my economic situation or where, you know, I live in Iowa or I live in Mississippi or I live in a, a small rural state that no longer matters anymore, it seems exactly. like. You don't care. And then, and so they start to associate themselves with him. I think that's absolutely right. And, and then the fuel on the fire was when Goofy Hillary says the basket of deplorables. I mean, that boom, his popularity, remember that? I mean, absolutely. really increased. And everybody, not everybody, but most of us on the right felt like the Clintons have been grifters for a long time. How in the world does this woman rise up to be candidate for president? I believe she was the worst candidate in the history of the country. And Trump still barely beat her. I mean, that's just how committed Democrats are to their party and to their candidate. And I don't and the same thing happened with Joe Biden. And, but again, presidential elections are won by that squishy independent class that lives in about four states. Yeah. Wisconsin's one of them. I think that's why the debate, the first debate, is going to be in Wisconsin. I think it's a, an effort to kind of make a big scene and, and uh, get a lot of exposure in a, in a critical swing state. But I, I guess I'm, where I'm going with this is this was well constructed by this listener. They thought through this and provided the actual excerpts of the code and say, yeah, this is a code. This is what he did. I think this could be proven that he's guilty. And talking about the documents case specifically, many believe that's the most damning. I actually think 
having read more details on what happened in Fulton County, I actually think that's more damning. What I don't know is, it's like a inappropriate behavior, but is it illegal behavior? I mean, calling a Secretary of State saying, find me 11,000 votes, I don't know if that's illegal. That's what they're saying, at least alleging in the complaint. Certainly seems to be a little inappropriate, Yeah, I would say. We appreciate you joining us today. It's middays. We're in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back. On Super Talk Mississippi. Ready, ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk Mississippi. She said. Welcome back. We're back in the Element Well studio. So, a minute ago I said that uh, it was a long time ago when somebody ran for president that was uh, serving a sentence from jail. And it, it was. Somebody said, well, I didn't know Bernie Sanders was in jail. Because <laughs> I said it was a socialist. <laughs> it was this, ran as a candidate on the Socialist Party. Uh, it was 1920. Eugene V. Debs received a million votes in 1920. Now, that's when the population at that time, I think it was like 120 million, something like that. So, 1920, so he would have ran against Calvin Coolidge? I think so. I have to look that up. That sounds right. He's either Coolidge or Harding, one yeah. of the two. Yeah. Um, but was in jail, received uh, a, a million votes. And was in jail for sedition, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, isn't that like close to treason? Yeah. Didn't, um, uh, uh, what was it, the, uh, who was it, Aaron Burr, the vice president, yeah. didn't he get brought up on treason and sedition or something like yeah, five times? that is correct. That is absolutely correct. So, yeah, um, Looks like that the population was 106,000. I think I said 106 million. I think I said 120. But that was the story there. Ran while in jail, campaigned for, for president, got a million votes. In 1992, I didn't know this one, more recently, political activist Lyndon LaRouche campaigned for president while in prison for fraud. 1992. I don't remember that. 92. Trump, however, has said that if he is sentenced and is incarcerated, quote, I'll never leave. He said that in an interview with Politico in June. Hmm. It's just, uh, it's just fascinating. And I know that, uh, so where I was going with that discussion of this listener that sent me the emails that I feel like a lot of people aren't that familiar, maybe don't even care if Donald Trump broke the law. They see him as channeling their concerns, as 
supporting, representing them, mm-hmm. and they're willing to just look the other way. I think the other thing that is the natural reaction, almost visceral in nature, is what about Joe Biden? Fair, the, what, fair. the other side did worse, or you right, know, right. other side's wrong too. What about what about them? Right, and I and I think honestly, I agree that it, that is fair. It does seem like there is a doubled standard. I completely agree with that. But I guess what I would say is, how do we get back to the so-called concept of blind justice, where it doesn't matter? That's where we got to get. Yeah, shouldn't matter. Your party, your personality, your political philosophy shouldn't matter. But it does. It seems like it does here. This is crazy, Will, but I think the left would have a better chance, the Democrats, of winning the presidency if they would push as hard to investigate and convict, if he's found guilty through the process, Joe Biden, as they are Donald Trump. They would, I think, the natural position may be just the opposite. Well, hands off Biden. we got to have him to run, beat Trump in the next cycle, right? I think it'd help him. I think if it, because right now there's independents that are, again, critical to winning the presidency, I think they're sitting back and saying, you know what, I'm not crazy about Trump, I don't like what he did, but we got to stop this double standard. Got to stop it. And the best way to do that is to put him back in office. And I think they are able to translate this double standard, this two-tiered justice system, is a danger to the country and to themselves as citizens of the country. Yeah. In posterity. And I think they I, – I, I know it sounds like it's upside down, but I really believe if the left would come out – and they're starting to edge in that direction, you've noticed, some chinks in the armor where they're denouncing Biden – in, in his, honestly, what appears to be criminal activity with his with well, his son. And two, it's getting harder and harder to deny yeah, right. some of these things, especially when Republicans have control of the House and they're able to launch investigations and whatnot. And it's just constant. It's that constant pounding of the noise or, or the news or whatever you want to call it, even if only the right-wing publications are picking it up, it's that constant pounding that eventually breaks the dam. I think you're right. And and most recently, these suspicious activity reports are called SARS. It's banking records. It's like, wait, there's these big sums of money flowing into these accounts, and you're moving stuff around, by the way, assets and, and companies. Yeah, some don't look right here. Yeah. And it, it just seems like the evidence is mounting, yet... They're still not pursuing those activities with the same vigor that they are Donald Trump. Exactly. Because the Justice Department is controlled by... Biden. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm simply saying that I think that's what attracts and keep people to Trump and keeps them supporting him. It's like they're willing to dismiss that he did anything wrong, if he did anything wrong, even the possibility of that, simply because... The other side's not getting the same treatment. And I, I get it. And I, and I guess what I'm saying is, you know, if, if they would come out and say, hey, 
The law is the law. I just put my hand over my eyes, um, symbolizing the concept of blind justice. The law is the law. It should be equally applied. And the left says that every day. Donald Trump's not above the law. Well, neither the hell is Joe Biden. <laughs> what about that? And if they would just come out and say that, and if Democrats would say, looks like Joe Biden's got a problem here, I honestly, gosh, the country would be so much better off. Yeah. And if Republicans and supporters of Trump would say, Mr. President, you really shouldn't have taken those documents down to Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, the way you intimidated and had conversations and had a big group doing the same, pressuring the Secretary of State of Georgia and election officials and things like that, you have a full right, in my view, to question the validity of the election. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to see us get to a point where a president from office calls an elected leader in another, another state and says, you got to go find me some more votes. Uh, that's not right either, guys. Yeah. And there may be some people out there that are mad at me for saying that, and that's fine. I'm just speaking the truth, what I believe to be the truth. And what I think is in the best interest of the country. And, and that's what you hear. When you ask people, especially Republicans, when you ask them, or conservatives, when you ask them, now, who do you want to see as the next president? Or, or you know, what are you looking for in the, in the next you know, candidate that you're going to support? A lot of times the response you get is, I want somebody new. I want somebody fresh who's not tainted with all this backlog of stuff. And I would imagine that more liberal people and and Democrats on the other side would would secretly tell you, you know, gosh, I just, you know, this Hunter Biden stuff and you know his mumbling at the at the podium, it's just getting tired. I just wish they would get somebody new. I think secretly they all want the guy to go, but they won't come out and do it publicly. Yeah, for fear of the backlash of of the retribution, the retaliation. Because then it becomes, well, who is that person? And then right. opens up a whole new can of worms. You're right, and if you're sitting in Congress, and you speak out, and then they hose you in the next election. Yeah. That's a problem, of course. You know, that's just a, that, that's the dirty side of, of party politics there, that you're almost forced to walk the line, as long as you intend to run again. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've, I've been a kind of a 50-50 person on term limits. I've talked about the pros and cons of that on the show. And that would be a situation where, hey, if I'm turbing out, I don't care. I'm just going to tell the truth. Yeah. Just going to tell the truth. Got nothing left to lose. Yeah, right? nothing to lose. I'm not running again. But when you when you are constantly in, in campaign mode, especially if you're in the House, it's every two years, and you're measuring every word, every action, every statement mm. on the basis of what's the best, in my best interest to get elected again? What's the most politically expedient statement and I can make? you constantly have someone who's a little bit further... If you're on the left, it's a little bit further to the left. If you're on the right, you're a little bit further to the right. Who, the second you utter, you know, maybe they did do something wrong. Maybe they should go to jail. Maybe they should be punished for this. That person in that next election cycle is going to attack you for it. No doubt. Oh, they'll help string it all over all the ads and out of context, of course. And it's, unfortunately, very powerful uh, to a voter. We got some sound from Janet Yellen. I don't know if you guys heard about this situation. The Dow, by the way, we're going to play it when we come back. The Dow, by the way, has turned negative in about 30 minutes. It's because we got negative news out of China. I talked about that yesterday. Their economy is contracting, and their central bank just lowered interest rates, which is a sign that they're in for some recessionary times. 
And that is spooking investors in the U.S. Coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio, lots of tax rolling in. I'm going to get to those in a second. Here's one right here from Mike from Grand Bay, Alabama. You make us independent sound bad. No, Mike, I, I don't make you sound bad. I'm just speaking the truth here. Is there are a number of people in this country that don't declare themselves uh, in support of or associated with any particular party, and and in doing so. Uh, they'll tell you, I just vote for whom I think's the best candidate, especially for president, and, and, and they're the difference makers in winning and losing elections. I mean, that's just documented fact. In certain states. Right. In certain counties. In certain counties. It right. gets down to the county level. And in fact, if you follow some of these experts on Twitter and other sources, they can identify the counties. And if this county goes this way or that county goes that way, that's where the election's going to go. No doubt. It's amazing how you know, micro they can get with some of this stuff. Sometimes even down to the precinct. Even down to the, to the precinct. precinct, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but, so no, Mike, I certainly wasn't uh, meaning to uh, downplay or uh, be critical, condemn independence uh, in what, uh, in any form whatsoever. Not what's, not, it, it's their right. And I, I respect that right. And But I'm just saying that it's, it's pretty critical when it comes to a presidential election because we don't elect the president on the basis of popular vote. It's just a different animal than all other elections yeah. because of the Electoral College. Um, and by the way, uh, I'll get to this later. So we got some sound here, we do, from Janet Yellen to set this up for you folks. She was over in... Where was it? Was she in Japan? China? China. 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 Yeah. I knew. It was just on a, a recent China. trip. And uh, this was an interview she had. I believe, was this CNN? One of, or, yeah. Uh, C- CNN? CNN uh, Politico picked it up. Uh, and, of course, Janet Yellen, um, our chief money. This Secretary of the Treasury. Ch- right? Chief You know, she, look, she looks at all the bank accounts, okay? And here's what she's doing over in China. I, I went with this large group of people, and the person um, who had arranged our dinner did the ordering. Uh, there was a delicious mushroom dish. I was not aware that uh, these mushrooms had hallucinogenic uh, properties. I learned that later. I can tell you later, like in your when you were, were sleeping and having visions, mushrooms. or <laughs> well, I I was. 
read that if the mushrooms are cooked properly, which I'm sure they were at this very good restaurant, that they have no impact. But all of us enjoyed the mushrooms, the restaurant, and none of us felt, felt any ill effects um, from having eaten them. <laughs> well, there you go. What's the... Uh... Oh, my gosh. What's, what, what, you know, United States, a lot of money flowing around, and our uh, the person who's in charge of all of it is, so you know, you one know, undercooked mushroom, and all of a sudden she's seeing dragons and, uh, right, you know, things come right. out. This is, in my opinion, a total mockery of this country. Think about it now. You've got a member of the U.S. cabinet on an official visit at a dinner, state dinner, if you will, and they're serving hallucinogenic <laughs> mushrooms that have to be cooked to a certain level to take the, the properties out of them that would make you see things? So here's what you start thinking about. Well, if the, okay, if they undercook them, she consumes these, and then she's got some event, some speaking engagement, gets stopped perhaps, by Chinese press. Anything could happen. They could set that up. And she's talking in nonsensical terms. The Secretary of the Treasury of the United States. It's a mockery. And it starts with the guy in the White House. Because they know he's a fool. And they're taking advantage of that. Yeah. And, they, and so, typically, what you have are tasters. Right? For uh-huh. somebody at that level. That not only tasters, but somebody's watching the food preparation before you go give it to a member yeah. of the U.S. cabinet. You're in dang China. There's when are they going to realize these people are our enemy? I mean, I just... They just don't get it. They're evil. They're just flat out evil. They're not just an enemy. They're evil. They're could, evil. Could you imagine if you were the CEO of a company and your CFO went on... MSNBC or CNBC and said, hey, by the way, uh, you know, uh, before I report our earnings, by the way, I took some magic mushrooms. But they they, no effect on me. Well, flip that around. What if that had happened over here and we served hallucinogenic (laughs) mushrooms to some Chinese Politburo member? Hell, they'd be launching the nukes at us. Sending balloons at least. (laughs) Oh, the Holly's bumping us out here on Middays. We got more text to get to when we come back. Some pretty good stuff. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi, the afternoon portion of the program, gets underway. We appreciate you joining us on this hump day as it stands. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with illustrator Sarah Francis Hardy and publisher Neil White as they talk about the new book, One Mississippi, inspired by the new official state song, One Mississippi, by Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant, and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info. So, Will, Neil White is fraternity brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 On the intramural football team, he was quarterback. I was a blocking back and was the leading scorer in the league, by the way, (laughs) in those days. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's great. Oh, by the way, those Doobie Brother tickets, that's next week. Next week. We're going to be giving those away here on midday. So be listening for that if you want to see the Doobie Brothers at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon. And And I, I forget the date of the concert, but we'll be giving away tickets all next week. It's coming up. And what about Guns N' Roses? Guns N' Roses, too, right? that's that's still ongoing. You can go to supertalk.fm slash GNR, and you can find our registration box near you. We have registration box all regi- registration boxes all across the state, and uh, I think September 21st is the date that we're going to draw the winner on that one. Yeah. Uh, talking about this Trump indictment and, and just the two-tiered, legal standard that is, seems apparent in our country, Curtis Biloxi says, and neither is Hillary Clinton above the law, and she did way more egregious things with classified documents than Donald Trump ever did. Well, I'm not sure about the classified documents. I, I, I don't have any knowledge of that. Um, I, I think the, the Clinton family in general are grifters, and, and I think that they have um, broken the law in the past. And there's problems there, for sure. And certainly the way she handled uh, her job as Secretary of State yeah. could be called, in with the embassy situation, could be called into question. That seemed to me like an abdication of duty, honestly. The question is, what do you do? I mean, you have the right to, um, you have a route to impeach a member of the cabinet like that. Whether or not she broke any laws... They're, they're like the mafia, man. You start to get stuff to stick to them. You know how they got Al Capone right on tax evasion yeah. eventually. Murder all those people in right. Chicago, but they got him on tax evasion charges. Couldn't pin any of that on him. So, and I, I guess what I'm saying is uh, I don't want to excuse Donald Trump from breaking any laws if he broke laws and if our courts find that he did simply because Joe, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton have not gotten to that point legally. I want the law to be applied consistently. It's essential to having a thriving society. Economically, from a safety perspective, otherwise we are a banana republic. No doubt about it. And everything's kind of out the window. And at the mercy of whomever seems to be in charge, do whatever the heck they want, with impunity if they break the law, and then persecute their political foes. I don't want that to happen. 
I want it to be uh, applied consistently. I'll give you an example. One time uh, I was with a girlfriend of mine. We were driving down the Natchez Trace, and she was flying. You know, Natchez Trace is 50 miles per hour. She's doing like 75. (laughs) Blue lights, okay? Get pulled over. She's driving. She tells the cop, well, look, I just saw a guy doing, you know, he was going way faster than me. (laughs) And the cop, he, 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 he didn't miss a beat. He said, that doesn't excuse the, the fact that you were breaking the law. You're right. going faster. Right. Yes, that person is in the wrong, too, but so are you. Yeah. I mean, it's, gosh, most of us remember that from our parents. When you wanted to do something and your parents wouldn't let you, so-and-so gets to. Yeah. You know, My you, brother gets to. Right, exactly. So, again, how do we get back to the, the, the blind justice upon which our country was built. And let's be honest, it's not just Donald Trump. It's happening across our nation when you see all this this crime being committed with impunity. I think I saw where what what city is it where uh, San Francisco, I think. There's some public sector workers that work in downtown San Francisco, of course, where crime is rampant and there doesn't seem to be any interest in in arresting and prosecuting people and locking them up for committing these crimes, for safety reasons, they told them, stay home and work. Don't come to downtown San Francisco, the city you work for. That's insane that that's gotten to this point. So the two-tier justice system we see unfolding in the country and at play in the country in practice, it extends far beyond just Donald Trump and Joe Biden. But it's kind of emblematic, Will, of what's happening in the rest of the country. If you're on the right, you're getting the book thrown at you. But if you're on the left, we're looking the other way. And the same's happening with this these crime sprees, teenagers ransacking the Nordstroms in Seattle, as an example. Like a flash mob, didn't they? Flash Was mob. Yeah. yeah. In in a in a Nordstrom's department store. And what really hurts about all that is that we all pay for that. These companies are gonna pass on these costs. They sell stuff we buy, we need, but they're having to cover the cost of retail says $100 billion a year. $100 billion of, of theft loss, shrinkage to theft. That's ridiculous and keeps going up. And yet Joe Biden's on the beach, Rehoboth Beach, goes to Milwaukee to brag about his stupid Inflation Reduction Act and Bidenomics. Which, by the way, Janet Yellen, whose sound we just shared, (laughs) was ingesting the magic mushrooms. Um, Now, she comes out and writes an op-ed. Wall Street Journal published it yesterday. The title, A Prosperous Year for the Inflation Reduction Act. Who thinks that? Where does she get this from? She writes a whole article, and you know what she's mostly boasting about? The climate change provisions. It's scrap we've talked about here on the show with these credits you get for buying so-called energy-efficient water heaters and insulation and caulking appliances. Who's doing that? Who's running out to their stores, their local stores, the Home Depots, the Lowe's, the hardware stores, the appliance dealers? Who's buying this stuff? And getting these credits, I don't think anybody is. If you if you guys talked to anybody, said yeah, since the Inflation Reduction Act went into play, I went and just 
just renovated my house, remodeled it. I got me a new water heater. I got me new appliances. I got me some insulation. Who's doing that? I think them, them mushrooms got to her. <laughs> I just don't think anybody's doing that. And then they're talking about the South's become the battery belt. Uh, she talks about that in the article because the uh, manufacturers are sprouting up that are building batteries. It's not because of the Inflation Reduction Act. It's because you said you're going to shut the whole damn thing down. It's like we got to have we got to get around some way and you're basically engineering the economy by saying you can't drive fossil fuels cars anymore. Look how great that Inflation Reduction Act. No, you shut down the alternative. Oh my gosh, it's just tell the dang truth one time. She's saying we're strengthening our economic resilience. While oil prices have declined significantly in the past year. Huh? What? Uh, she hadn't been paying attention the last month. She ain't pumped some, uh, any gas recently. No. 329 right out here the, uh, this morning. And, of course, she attributes it to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. That's the, that's the stale talking point we hear every day. Um, and she says, uh, what else? Uh, our strategy is more ambitious. Advancing U.S. energy security means reducing the risk of over-concentration in our critical clean energy supply chains. Just go be the Secretary of the Treasury and quit all this climate crap. I mean, the Democrats, there are three pillars in their agenda. Climate and race and sex. Think about it. Those are the three pillars of the Democratic agenda. Climate, race, and sex. And when we come back, I sent you some sound of an official video, official production that's being aired by the State Department in Brazil. In Brazil. You got that? I think I sent that to you. Folks, you won't believe this when we come back. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio. So, on the ceasefire text line, before I get to this, uh, that sound we got from Brazil. Uh, Gerard, you mean to tell me that our elected officials, both Democrats and Republicans, are not pure as the snow? Totally shocking to me. This shakes me to the core, says Gary uh, in Meridian. 
Uh, there was something else. Oh, somebody said, well, I don't think it's ever Texas before. Said Gerard, who are you afraid of upsetting? Why are you being such a panty waste? Quit tiptoeing. Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden are absolute crooks. Call them what they are. I have numerous times. I have opined that, uh, that both, uh, I think, have broken the law just based on my analysis, my personal opinion regarding the evidence. I have said that. But my opinion on that is not going to get them indicted and convicted. And honestly, based on the evidence, it, it, like um, with respect to the email that I read earlier from our listener, you look at the code, you look at what Trump did, you'd have to say he broke the law. Now, the double standard, I agree, is inexcusable. Inexcusable. But I, I, I think most people on the right will, I'd say this, and this may irritate some people, if Hillary Clinton did, or Joe Biden did, what Donald Trump did, do you think they feel the same way? Absolutely. Right. Right. And vice versa on the other side right. of that. Right. Right. That's the problem that I'm trying to point out. That's it. I'm not excusing any of them and, uh, at all. I, I'm just saying we got to have blind justice, consistent application. That's what we deserve as Americans. Folks, I said earlier, <laughs> before we went to break, the Democrat Party has three pillars in their platform. It's climate change, it's race, it's sex. Here's an example. This is actual video I came across produced by the United States State Department. And it is being aired and distributed uh, by the ambassador, the embassy. I believe it's Brazil, right? Yeah. Brazil. Here you go. Hi, my name is Mark, and I use he, him pronouns. You've probably noticed that more and more people are stating their preferred pronouns when they introduce themselves in social conversations, in classrooms, in the workplace, in their email signatures, and on social media. The reason is simple. There is a range of gender identities beyond male and female. In English, many use he, him, or she, her pronouns, but a growing number of people are using different pronouns, like they, them. Zem, here, her, hers, and am. These are called gender-neutral pronouns. They don't specify the gender of the subject of the sentence, and they exist because you can't assume someone's gender just by looking at them. Words matter, and they are powerful tools to convey meaning and connect more deeply with one another. Making incorrect assumptions about someone's gender, that's a microaggression that could be hurtful for individuals who identify with certain communities, such as transgender or queer communities. So, what's the best way to be sure you're using the right pronouns? Just ask. Asking for and using someone's preferred pronouns show respect and help create an inclusive environment. Ma'am, what's your uh, pronoun? I mean, oh, I've already screwed up. <laughs> so the first Sir, thing... can I please? Oh, no. <laughs> Wrong again. <laughs> the first thing I want to point out and just pose is a question. What is per purs? Is that for people who identify as cats? I mean, what is that? Maybe it's people, retired people in Mississippi who work for the government. <laughs> I'm, I'm per purs. I've never heard that one before. Per purs. Zzim. <laughs> so, did you notice, Will, that uh, displayed in the background, prominently displayed was the LGBTQ flag or the transgender flag. Hell, I don't even know. And then right at the end, the American flag appears. Yes. Because it's the U.S. Department of State. Your tax That's dollars. That's what we're doing. Your tax dollars paid for that. That is incredible. So this all goes back to this 
this uh, series of, of executive orders issued by the president on day one that we've talked about on the program many times that basically said you will make sex and climate change and race central themes in your operations, in your policymaking. Why is the Department of State making a pronoun video? What has that got to do with forging relationships with other countries? Can we just not talk about that for once? Good grief. And, and it's professionally done videos, you can tell. I mean, yeah. and this guy is a good spokesperson. I mean, he knows what he's doing as far as making videos are concerned. But this is crazy. This is, this is where we are in this country. And I think when stuff like that gets around the globe, China and Russia got to be laughing their butts off at us, our most ardent foes. It just is a sign of weakness. And while we're concentrating on this stuff, they're concentrating on teaching math and science and all these things. Yeah, and plotting how to destroy us and overtake us and overtake our economy. Just unbelievable. So I got called a rhino. R-H-I-N-O, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Just another so-called Republican. Scared to hurt feelings. I'm not scared to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't even care about hurting feelings. I care about the truth. And I care about calling balls and strikes. If you don't agree with that, that's fine. That's your prerogative. I don't agree with you. That's my prerogative. But sounds to me like you're a person that just wants to go hang up Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton just because you don't like them. That's exactly what's happening to Trump, to a great extent. So I won't apologize for that. Not whatsoever. I support blind justice, the rule of law. I hope everybody listening to me does, because it's essential to our republic. And... It's posterity. Just is. Won't back down on that. I can't fathom how embarrassing this is, says Zach in Oxford. The other countries have to be laughing their tails off at us. I totally agree. Strider and Indiola, Indianola. WTF was that. I'm telling the truth. Will you see it? I sent you the source. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the person who featured that, that I follow, is a guy named Brad Palumbo. You see him yeah. in the video. Brad is a, uh, is a writer for the Foundation of Economic Education. I believe he works for them. He's a, he's a conservative. By the way, you know something else about Brad? He's gay. It's a gay guy that featured that, who's making faces about it, and who, in the wake of the video, has a conversation with another gay guy. And they're denouncing this. Basically, what Brad says is, this isn't true about gays. We don't want this pronoun crap. We don't agree with that. That's a gay guy saying that. Brad, who's it's, brilliant, by the way. It's very similar to the Latino, Latinx That's right. thing. Where, That's right. You know, they're like, we don't want this. This is not what we want. Why are you pushing this on, this, on, on us? Yeah, I totally agree. Larry and Ma says, by the way, Larry, appreciate you having me the other night. Really enjoyed that. Great folks. 
uh, in Raleigh, Mississippi. I had the pleasure of speaking. Larry invited me. Name me one thing Trump did that was against the law because contesting an election is not. I agree with you, Larry. Contesting an election is not. But, and this will be for a court to sort out, pressuring an elected official to go, quote, find some votes, yeah, that's against the law. Having classified documents in your possession that you have not unclassified, even though you have the right to do so, it's against the law. Now, I would say this. Was there any harm as a result of that? I mean, so think about it from a practical perspective. Did anybody get hurt because Trump had those documents at Mar-a-Lago? None that I'm aware of now. But on the other hand, do we just want to look the other way Everything that, every time this happens because there were no damages? I, Joe Biden, I believe, even has a similar situation. I would not want him to have like a yeah. plan for war that, <laughs> that Trump was brandishing to a reporter. Look Remember here, that? Jack. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. And that's, that's part of the problem, is that there's got to be a consistent application here, and it's either the law or it's not. Again, I think a, maybe a bigger deal than should be has been made of it. But just think about our audience here. I shared with you earlier an email from a person who thinks he totally broke the law. And by the way, this is a conservative person. This is not a left-wing loon Democrat. Then we just have somebody out here that got mad at me because I just won't come out and say, let Trump out and hang Hillary and Joe. No, I just want the law to be applied. I don't care who the hell the person is. So when the left says nobody's above the law, they're right. That includes Hillary and Joe. And that's what I think the average person out there is frustrated about, is the two-tier system of justice, and I'm with them on that. That doesn't mean Donald Trump can break the law with impunity if he did. Let's let the courts sort that out. I also think it's wrong that they timed it to be when it happened. That's a problem, too. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Good there, man. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate uh, you joining us on the ceasefire text line. Lady Justice isn't blind. The government poked her eyes out. <laughs> That's pretty good. Are you sure, says Paul and Hernando, justice has been blind in the past? No, I, I can't say that it's perfect, Paul, because it's administered by humans and we're flawed. We make mistakes. What I'll say is that it's better than any other dang system in the world. Yeah. And and honestly, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Will, this all goes back to the Magna Carta. 
I mean, the, the concepts uh, of our founding and application of the law, the legal framework. Now, it's evolved since then, and unfortunately, they're, they're humans involved in, like I said, administering justice, and they're sinners. They're flawed. They don't get it right. It ain't perfect. Still pretty good. However, what I'd say that we see unfolding now with respect to Donald Trump, Joe Biden, forget Hillary Clinton for a while, just the two main actors, who would have thought we'd have the top two contenders for president in a year and a half here, both embroiled in legal trouble, hasn't gotten quite to the point that I think it's going, honestly, with Joe Biden. We're a lot further down the line here with Donald Trump. But to a great extent, we're not further down the line uh, vis-a-vis Joe because they've obstructed. There's, there's smoke. There's no doubt about it. And, it, and I totally say that, and I've said that on the show the last couple of weeks, is, is uh, James Comer from Kentucky in the House overseeing the investigation. When these bank reports came out, some, that was it for me. It's like, man, there's, this ain't right. You can't on the one hand say, I don't have any involvement in these business dealings, and no, I haven't been enriched. And then we get these bank reports that show that stuff's flowing into your family's account. Something's going on. And we got to get to the bottom of it. All I'm saying is, I'm for consistent application of the law. Donald Trump broke the law. He should be subject to whatever our law says. Joe Biden broke it. He should be subject to it. And that goes for everybody else in this country. How could anybody disagree with that? That's essential. It's foundational to our founding. So I got a friend that was comes from law enforcement. And um, says said amen when he heard me preaching a minute ago uh, about the consistent application of the law. That statement specifically said it's uh, true. I put family in jail for dealing drugs, just like I did people I didn't know. I went so far as letting another agent handle the prosecution to avoid appearance of interfering in the case. Something went wrong in case. Something went wrong in court. We should all have the same chance. I agree. Said so you do a good job of relaying that. I don't think Trump should be prosecuted if others are not. All of them, regardless of party or friendships. And I, I agree. And I, I just said that I'm not for letting one person off the hook just because other people are left off the hook. That's the worst possible outcome. That means everybody can just die yeah. without with impunity, right? We don't want that, but we want consistent. And I say again, the Democrats would have a better chance making their case to get behind full investigation of Hunter and Joe Biden rather than trying to dismiss it. I honestly do believe that they would. And, and, and it's because of their unwillingness to do so is why Trump's numbers go up every time he gets indicted because people say, well, heck, Joe Biden can do whatever the heck he wants. Well, the guy that I want to be president, he should be able to act as well without suffering the consequences of the law. And they they justify it on that basis. I, I get it. I get the frustration. He said, uh, my friend said, I love my cousin like a brother, but he got 15. He's out today, and we are best of friends. How about that? So, yeah, incredible. Yeah, incredible story. Appreciate that uh, to my friend. 
for sending that in. Right here in Winston County on the ceasefire text line, last week I had a main political candidate try to hurt my business because I voted Republican and not Democrat. That's disturbing. If you'd like to share more with that, about that, if you're comfortable doing so, I'd like to know. I bet our news department would like to know. I mean, if there's something specific you can point to where you were intimidated or threatened by a political candidate because you didn't vote for them and they have some sort of power they could exert over your business, no, that's a big problem. Yeah. That's big-time illegal. So if, if, you got, if, you, if you're comfortable talking about that further and want to want to discuss it, send us a text and, and tell us to keep it confidential, and we'll, if you'd like, and we get you in touch. And I'd like to know more about that. That's not right. Mm-hmm. Not right at all. I don't care what party they are. It's not right. This is what disgusts people about politics, man. It gets so ugly. Gosh, and it's like, well, it's like they're addicted to it. These people that get into the political realm, they're like addicted to it. Can't live without it. Can't imagine life any other way. Honestly, some of them can't function outside of that realm. Literally can't function. Remember Hillary saying she hadn't driven a car in 20 years or something like that? They can't function. They have their every detail attended to. It's got to be addicting. It's like, it, it's celebrity. It's celebrity. It's no doubt. And that's what keeps them there. It's not the money. It's the fame. It's the addiction. And the power. And the power that they get. And I think to a great extent, that power is not so much, okay, I'm making laws and policies and stuff. It's the power that just because of your fame, you get special treatment. Uh, I'm reminded of, uh, you remember Justin Wilson? Mm-hmm. The uh, the Cajun comedian, cook, had had um, cooking shows, right? Chef Justin Wilson there for oh, years. Oh yeah, and um, oh, so nice. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know he produced some uh, some albums, um, comedic content. My mother had them when I was a kid. Used to listen to them. But he tells the story about going to, uh, traveling somewhere and going to a hotel and there being all booked up, no vacancy. And uh, he, he asked the hotel attendant, well, if the President of the United States showed up, would you have a vacancy for them? Well, of course we would, Mr. Wilson. That's the President of the United States. He said, well, he ain't coming. Give me his room. <laughs> I mean, I, I've thought about that many times through the years, that that's part of the drug. That's part of the addiction. Yeah, It's all the perks. And, it, and to a great extent, you know why? It's because the people giving them the perks think they're going to get something in return. Self-perpetuating system. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. And that's what's going on here a lot. Oh, gosh. It's just crazy. What happened to all the anti-drunk driving media ads? This remains a big problem. needs attention again. Yeah, I see see that, Gary in the Burger. Drunken driver killed my young husband and one-year-old son. Here's how I'm seeking justice, an article he sent. Joe won't go to jail, says Thomas in Greenwood. He'll have some medical issues or something to garner sympathy to help Democrats if he's not the nominee. You could be right about that. He said, also says, we'd have no standards at all if it weren't for double standards, says Thomas. Some truth to that. Brian in the Delta, I totally agree with the law sorting it out between Joe, Hillary, and Trump. 
Gosh, we have to rely on the law. We just have to. If we can't, guys, it's over. I mean, it's just over. It's the reason this country is, is the most powerful, is the most prosperous. It is the reason, the core reason. Because it's not Xi Jinping making the law mm-hmm. from the palace in China, in Beijing. Gerard, I'm right there with you. Keep on speaking the truth, says Paul in Vicksburg. Calling you a rhino is hilarious. And it's sad, Will, because it's we've gotten tribal. And if you, you talk about you hear the the Democrats um, all the time clamoring this refrain, it's the end of democracy. You've got to show an ID to vote. It's the end of democracy. Right? You've got limitations on abortions. The end of democracy. Reproductive rights. Crap like that. Banning gender. And, and you know, they, they describe it with these sort of virtuous, noble terminology. It's gender-affirming care. We're affirming their gender. No, you're not. You're mutilating a minor's body. It's not compassionate. That's cruel. That's what it is. Oh, they try to flower it up with all this language. is so ridiculous. It's the end of democracy. We can't mutilate minors' bodies. No, that's not the end of democracy. So ridiculous. We're coming back with a final segment on middays on this hump day in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. In the LMOL studio, it's the final segment. I thought this is on the ceasefire text line. I thought you were innocent until proven guilty in America. Sounds like y'all are saying he is guilty until proven innocent. I just offered an opinion. Uh, I also said that all this ought to be sorted out in a court of law, that I had faith in our legal system, and that it should not be tried in the public square. But people form opinions. I offer an opinion. What did Biden do? What Biden did or didn't do isn't irrelevant, isn't relevant, isn't relevant to Trump's court case. I says Dwight. I actually agree. And that's again, that's blind justice. But it, it's disturbing when you got one high-profile high figure that's just getting the full force of the law thrown at him. And 90, another, 91. 91 counts in the four indictments, and another, and another is just acting like nothing ever happened. That's not right, and the timing of it. Well, like I said earlier, is not right either because, again, I think that the plan, the goal is to disrupt his ability to campaign. Trump's very effective in rallies. That's how that's what got him elected in '16. Said that many times before. It was that last push in the last week when Hillary was just she was exhausted. She was home, and Trump was not, and he hit the three big swing states. Wisconsin. Pennsylvania. Yep. Uh, Michigan. Remember that? 
one after another, leading up to Election Day over that weekend. Huge rallies. Just endless energy. It's what won it for him, in my view. It's absolutely what won it for him. And she was nowhere to be found. Um, so, But if he's taken out of commission because he's in court, and he's got four different venues from, from Florida to Fulton County to Washington, D.C. to New York, no doubt that, that uh, would hamper his campaign because he can't do what he does best. Where he, where he gets people excited about and energized to get out and vote for him, that's have these big rallies. He's maybe the best ever at that, honestly. Just is. Channels a lot of personal feelings and personal grievances. He's very good at that. You He's like Huey Long. I mean, he just has that charisma about him. Yeah. That it, can get the masses. Imagine Huey Long populist. with today's technology, yeah. right, and today's travel and transportation and venues. Imagine him. Unbelievable. And he was crazy, honestly. Huey Long was. I mean, oh, was, yeah. what a colorful figure, <laughs> no doubt. Put the dorms right in the back of Tiger Stadium to save money. Would arrest people left and right. Yeah. I mean, he didn't care. Didn't apologize for didn't it. Didn't apologize for it. Marion Greenwood texted earlier, said, you say people are tired of all these indictments of Trump and want to go with somebody else. Well, whoever gets the Republican nomination, they will continue to do them the same way. I honestly don't think so, Mary. I, I hear what you're saying, and, it, and it's a reasonable uh, assumption there. I, I think Trump just did a lot of stuff that is kind of maybe borderline, but it opened itself up. Taking classified documents, especially those that had detailed plans on prosecuting a war, I just wasn't that just you're opening yourself up and sticking those at Mar a Lago. Again, Biden did the same thing, right? Same in his garage. That seems to go unpunished. And and some of his problems with his taxes and paying off um porn stars and stuff like that, you know, and then just making phone calls to Secretary of State of a swing state, say, hey, I need some more votes here. I mean, that just you're kind of opening yourself up. And I guess what I'm saying is I don't see these other candidates. And I just I can't envision them doing that sort of stuff that would make themselves vulnerable, you know, to what we're seeing with Trump. But I hear you. I, I agree with you, Mary, that the Democrats don't care. They stop at nothing. I agree with you on that. I think the whole Biden administration is eating them mushrooms. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Newsom versus Tim Scott would be the best barometer of liberal versus conservative values in a general election. I actually don't think it is, and I'll tell you why. It's because of the popular vote versus the Electoral College. Newsom would win the popular vote, no doubt. Whether or not he'd win the electoral vote, once again, comes down to a, a smattering of independents in a handful of counties in about four states. Yeah. Georgia now one of those. It's become one of those. Yeah. Except the present governor, Brian Kemp, he won his election handily while Herschel Walker got beat running on the same ballot in the same state. So I, it's hard to tell what kind of a measurement it would be. I still believe largely people vote emotion, and I wish they would focus more on policy. I think Trump would do well if he focuses on his achievements in, in his last four years instead of the election was stolen in his, in his prior term in office, because I think people overall 
scored him pretty well. Mainly the people he needs to win, the independents. And I, I'd like to see him really focus and dwell on that, promote that. I did see a detailed economic plan finally published by Ron DeSantis. It's actually pretty good. Didn't get to that today. I'll get to it tomorrow. We're out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with you again tomorrow, Will, Will, and I. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.